1: We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segment, and I am excited about my guest today for both TV and radio, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary from CNBCs, and I'm really excited about talking about Money Court and also Shark Tank. Kevin, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Great. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I want to get started, and this is kind of a question I'm sure you've asked always. Did you always want to become an entrepreneur? Was that something growing up you always wanted to do?
2: I've asked entrepreneurs that question uh, as I've met them through my career. It always is some uh, definitive moment that puts you on that path. About a third of the population becomes entrepreneurs. Um, But for me, it was the humiliation of learning what it's like to work for somebody in an ice cream store and get fired because I wouldn't scrape gum off the floor. And um, that just was just something that didn't sit well with me and uh, i have to thank that woman she owned that ice cream store i was in you know high school at the time working there cuz i was interested in the girl working in the shoe store beside it and it was just one of those moments of humiliation i realized there's two kinds of people in the world those that you know own the store and those that scrape the gum off the floor and you have to kind of decide what, what you want to be and do. And I'm not dissing anybody that wants to have a career, right. you know, in a corporate ladder, but it's just, I can't do it. And I never work for anybody again.
1: After that. So you just made that decision. How old were you when you made that decision? I think I was 16. 16. So what, what was next for you when you said, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to, I'm
2: going to, I wanted this. to be a guitarist and a photographer. And my stepfather said, you'll starve to death. You're not good enough. Um, I went to college and I took psychology and environmental studies. And he said, "You're still going to starve to death." Then I went and did a business degree, and um, I really wanted to be involved in the uh, film business. I, I, you know, I had this oh, really? artistic desire. But so what I did when I got out of business school is I started a film production company that produced content for the original six hockey teams in Detroit, and Boston, and Philadelphia. And um, that was quite successful, and that was my first journey into entrepreneurship. We sold the company. We had a format called Don Cherry's Grapevine. Uh, we did another format called the Original Six, and that was the sale of my first company. And I was off to the races. But I'd always um, wanted to go back to be, you know, trying my luck in bands, and uh, but you know, I, I've been fortunate on the financial route. And uh, today I have a massive guitar collection. I've got really great cameras, and um, I, I tease my dad saying I've, I'm, I've come back to haunt you because <laughs> I can afford I can afford to do this now. And I'm still editing. I I actually grew up as a film editor on a, wow. an eight plate Steenbeck, um, and a cameraman. And so, I, and, and every weekend I still cut on you know digitally now Premiere Pro. Keep my chops going. My daughter's a producer in New York, so I think she's got a few genes off the old man from the TV side. But I've always thought that yin and yang in business is great. Um,
1: It helps you solve problems, you know, arts and the, the chaos of it and the discipline of business. You, I would never have thought that. I mean, might have heard a little bit about it on Shark Tank. I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank. I would never have thought that you were in the entertainment business because the entertainment business helps you really in so many ways being a performer as you know, when you did guitars to performing in front of people to being behind the scenes. You really understand how to tell a story. And that's an important part of everything in building something is that brand story.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I've had fortune. I've I've been able to work with the uh, world's best showrunners, best television producers, Mark Burnett, Eric Schatz. That's doing Money Court and his team. Um, but I drive them crazy because I'm an editor. And when I see a, a you know a first cut of a show, I'm all over them. I'm just on the timing. <laughs> if there's a jump cut or something, it's a nightmare for them.
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure because it's, it's your, you, that was the business you were in.
2: Yeah, and I'm still in it. I'm still in it. I'm just on the other side of the camera, but
1: exactly.
2: you know, I, I do uh, a lot of work uh, on the technical side, and uh, you know, anyways. But in, in money court, um, you know, getting back to that, uh, th- that really sprung from. My interest, you know, I've got a portfolio now of 34 plus companies. And in America, we've got 65% of our jobs are created by small businesses. And a lot of those were started by families. And so, right. what you find out, you know, money court's not like the other judge shows where there's a cat screaming in the neighborhood and right. people are upset and they, they go into small claims court. These are real litigations. This is real money. These are real people suing each other. And the reason they're on money court is they know we've got a log jam in our courts because of the pandemic and they need arbitration. They want to settle it and they want to move on. And as one litigant said to me, I don't really like you, Mr. Wonderful, but I trust you. And I'd rather be trusted than liked or win a popularity contest. That's an interesting dichotomy.
1: And so a lot of these cases that come, I love the idea of money court because the fact is, you're right, during the pandemic, it's harder to get court cases, different things. And people owe a certain amount of money. Is it mostly involving business a lot of times and some of the, your, uh, the people that come in with the money disputes?
2: Well, it, a lot of it's business, but it all involves money. What tears people apart, and, and this is why it's such compelling television, these cases, you're going to see yourself. You're going to see your family. You're going to see your cousin, your uncle, your brother. You've seen this happen to you, and now you're seeing it happen to somebody else, and it's how it gets resolved that matters, but... Some of this is really hard to, to, you know, it's emotional. It's, it's, it's brutal to see a mother sue her daughter, for example. And, and just, you can, as you, as you peel that onion around the case, yeah, you've got the docket, you know what the claim is for, and you know the litigation and they signed for arbitration, but why is a mother suing her daughter? And how did that happen to that family? And when you go down that rabbit hole, that's when you start making some remarkable television. I mean, it's really, I'll tell you something about this show that you might find interesting because I've been doing TV a long time. And the people that when you go to a studio like Telemundo and NBC Universal in Miami, where we shot this, that's state of the art. I mean, it's, right. it's the most incredible facility I've ever seen. And maybe we had 100 people on the set, the sound people, the lighting people, the gaffers, the cameraman, you know, the, the, the makeup people, the caterers, they're all there. Yeah. And these people are pros. They don't watch TV. They make TV. Right. And so they're, they're jaundiced. They've done this before. Exactly. I, I remember one of these cases. I looked over to the right where the soundboard was. And in every room, there's a line feed of what the truck is cutting off the, all the cameras. Right. And there was the entire technical staff glued to the monitor, watching this this incredible story of this family ripping itself to pieces. And when the break hit, uh, the woman who did my makeup came over to me and said, I don't agree with you at all. I don't agree with what you're doing here. I think you didn't give the daughter enough money. And she was totally engaged. That's when I knew we had a hit. Because when the t- the staff are watching TV and they're supposed to be making TV, you got to hit. Right. That's what I think.
1: And that's in telling a story. And so the mindset of the story. What is that ultimate goal of Money Court? What do you want to show uh, the viewers that you really can understand? I, I want.
2: I want to settle. I want to. You know, I have a federal judge in Adiposo who's seen a lot from the bench, a real federal judge and a real trial attorney. And Katie Fang, and they give me all the legal attributes of the contracts involved, what the law says, but ultimately the decision is mine. And I always try and resolve for the business because you think about a business, a family business, like the case you're going to see tonight, which is a crazy case. This is most people think, oh, you're going to court because your business is failing and you're suing. How about a case where you're so successful, you're making so much money? that the partners sue each other because they don't agree on the direction of making even more money. Uh. I've never seen anything crazier than that. And I sat there listening to this saying, this is insane. You guys have an incredible business. You're making a fortune on free cash flow, and you're suing each other. Exactly. And and they were, and it was, as you will see tonight, it's an amazing outcome. And I think people are really going to get engaged in,
1: in watching these cases get arbitrated. What have you learned about the law being part of this? The law is
2: interpreted by lawyers and by judges and by people. And it doesn't always resolve itself to optimize for an economic outcome. And so I think what's great about money court is I know money and I know business and I know people and You know, I try and solve for, yes, I'll listen to the law, but ultimately, if it's not going to save the business, I will. I'll make the decision that's right to save the business because the business has more than just the owners. It's got the customers. It's got the employees. It's got the legacy of the value they've created around their brand. Why would I want to see that destroyed? And I think that's what's unique about Money Court. Yes, it's a a legal platform, but ultimately, it's my decision. So these decisions weigh heavily on me. And I want to make sure I get it right, particularly when a
1: family is ripping itself to pieces. I have to ask you a question about Mr. Wonderful. I'm a legitimate six foot ten former professional wrestler. So I've gone in the entrepreneur route, but I was a pro wrestler, college basketball player. You know, I'm an intimidated guy at times. Right. Is the how did you get the name Mr. Wonderful? And how much is it really Kevin O'Leary and how much is it a little bit of a gimmick? I'll tell you where,
2: where this stems from. When I was 14 years old, my mother said something to me that I never listened to then. But later in life, it became very, very relevant. That's what happens in life a lot. If you park it in your brain, sometimes it becomes useful, sometimes not. She said to me, Kevin, if you always tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. And I said, bah, what does that mean? She said, think about it. You're going to be thinking one day to lie to somebody and you don't have to. You can just tell them the truth. But the, the thing about the truth is not everybody wants to hear it. No, and so, so you know, my role on Shark Tank is, is I'm the shark that tells you the truth, even if it's not what you want to hear, because the real world is going to come and bite your Heidi anyways. And I think in the early demo days when we were shooting the pilot, you know, 14 years ago, 13 years ago, Barbara, who you know, uh, we, we just don't agree on some stuff. Um, she said facetiously to me, your offer is a joke. You, you're trying to get control from these people at 51%. And it's the first time they've met you. Aren't you just Mr. Wonderful? We think that's when it started. And I thought, yes, I am Mr. Wonderful Barbara, because I tell the truth and you don't. And so we got into it back then and we've stayed that way all these years. And obviously I have a relationship with her. That's very healthy. We're good friends. She's a great cook. I can cook too. We often meet up in New York and, you know, prepare a big meal. I love that. And the only reason she gets anywhere and makes it to Shark Tank on time is
1: I buy her a new broom every year. See, what I think that helps you is being in the entertainment industry before being on Shark Tank. Some of them were, some of them weren't. And you really bring that, that, really bring a different side, especially when you see someone pitch something and then bam, you hit them with the truth which is important. and
2: I I think it's unfair to call me the mean shark. I just tell the truth. And I mean, if you can't handle it, don't worry. It's going to catch up with you anyways. I don't, I don't think you are. That really is important for money court. And what we found in the casting to get these cases to actually sign these contracts is many people in America don't actually like me that much, but they trust me. And I'd rather be trusted to win a popularity contest. That was a great honor for me to hear that from people saying, look, we don't have to be friends, but I'll listen to what you do in terms of adjudicating my case or, you know, going through arbitration with you. And when we did the post analysis, in other words, interviewed the exit people after they settled, after they heard my verdict, 90 percent of them were happy with the outcome. So I'm, I'm taking a lot of pride in that. And I think this show will have a lot of legs because there's countless cases in America wow. right awesome. now, countless. Awesome. And I think we're,
1: we're going to get a lot of them on money court. And it's too too bad sometimes the businesses are really not at fault. Sometimes they are at fault. And that's where Kevin will rule. Uh, I have one industry question, uh, another industry, and it's really becoming a big, big industry right now, and I want to get your take. And that's the space race with the space industry. It's becoming huge on Clubhouse. It's becoming everyone wants to get to space. What are your thoughts in the space race?
2: I've had the opportunity to actually go and see Branson's facility. I've, I've had a chance to work with him on social media and see his uh, actual capsule that he flew in. Uh, I wouldn't do it, but he's a, a, an adventurous soul and I get it. I, I think this is going to be a good business. I really do. Not just from the, uh, the, the human perspective of the interest of seeing space. Everybody wants to see it and feel weightlessness. It's just, it's just human interest in being explorers. And I think they will commercialize that. But I'm more interested in being able to fly to London in an hour because I spend a lot of my time in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or the Middle East or in Switzerland, and I have to fly there six and seven hours. And some of this technology that's being advanced is for that suborbital travel that I can go from New York to London in one hour and five minutes. Imagine I can go there, do a meeting and fly back for dinner. That, that's, you know, we had that way back on this, you know, two and a half hours with, uh, you know, in, in the very first, Supersonic planes that were commercial, but that I flew those and they were terrible. They were a tiny little yeah, you know, exactly. things with really noisy, and but still you got there quickly. Um, but I, I think this technology is going to spawn all kinds of industries and be good for investors.
1: And then at one point you'll have businesses. In space that's coming i'm sure
2: yes absolutely
1: hard. i mean there's so much opportunity and all this technology that's advancing so
2: quickly even what we're using right now to talk to each other has changed business forever and it's changed the, the profile of what i do and and you see it in the money court all of the technology that we use to make the show during the middle of covid but also all the people that brought their businesses and their litigation there was so much tech involved people have just embraced this and it becomes part of the economy a part of the way people run businesses
1: all right so the best place again wednesday nights at 10 p.m eastern money court on cnbc cannot wait to watch it kevin you were you're definitely a great interview man just so humble in so many ways and i would never have thought that from the show so i appreciate the time and i have a different opinion even though i love when you tell people straight but Hey, you got to do that, especially when you are the expert, when it comes to as an entrepreneur. So thanks for stopping by. I appreciate
2: it. Well, thank you. And tonight's case is going to make some people absolutely go nuts. That's what, you, you, you ain't seen nothing
1: like this. Enjoy the show. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment.
3: Celebrity slots. Free, spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download celebrity slots today.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 Vaccine Show. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, what's going on, man? You know, uh, we just seem like that this COVID thing's not going away, and you're starting to see what you predicted before September, October. They're concerned for another spike.
0: You know, it's uh, first of all, let me say it's wonderful to be alive. Thank God I'm alive. Um, It is the... the, um, The new variants are very effective at spreading through aerosol spread. And we're gonna cover that today. We're gonna cover that Delta is already in the US. It's already hit, and yet you do not hear it in the casualty figures. Why? And to take you there, you know, one of the things we've tried to do in this show is take people in their mind and their thoughts to places they've never been before. Some of that is frightening, uh, but but if you'll, these things go on whether you think about them or not. So the, the purpose of these discussions, and we talk about some topics that have never been discussed before, is not to terrify people, not to frighten them, but they might understand that many complex issues are going on in processes that they were never even thought about. One of the things we didn't think about when we had the common cold as children was that was the common cold actually growing in our colon, in our intestines, intestinal tract. And we knew that when we had a common cold, that was a coronavirus cold as a child. When I was young and you were young, our nose would be, get real stuffy, right? And our nose would run, and it would we would blow mucus, and it was gross. And hopefully our parents were around and give us a hug and you had a mom and mom took care of you. Uh, But we knew that we didn't have any GI symptoms. We didn't vomit from it. We didn't have diarrhea. So we did not think that the coronavirus was actually affecting our intestines. We didn't think that we had an intestinal process for coronavirus because we weren't puking up. We weren't having massive diarrhea. We weren't having any GI symptoms. And so we said to ourselves, it's this this cold has got my nose clogged up because your nose was clogged up and it was runny. And we weren't even having systemic side effects like body aches and chills and fever. Remember the old saying, starve a cold, but feed a fever? Usually you don't have any sepsis when when you have coronavirus cold. But I would suggest to you today that coronavirus was actually in your intestines. And that is based on coronavirus family infects the GI tracts of all kinds of animals, chickens, goats, all kind, lots of mammals. It is common in the intestinal tract. And just because your intestinal tract is not having symptoms, doesn't mean it's not multiplying there and it's not creating a immune defense from growing in your intestines. Now, when SARS-CoV-2 came around, most None of us are really virologists, 99.9999%, almost none of us are virologists. And one of the things that we came across was, hey, guess what? This is something that's going to get in your lungs and it's going to choke you out. And because we focused our attention on the lungs, we in many ways forgot that other th- processes were going on, that coronavirus was being processed in our intestines. We, even, we heard about cases of diarrhea and vomiting, but those were in cases that were very symptomatic from the respiratory version. Those were cases that occurred not early in the stage of the cold, but l- late. Remember, coronavirus was taking like 17 days to kill people in the first wave. Kind of a long time. It wasn't, it didn't kill you in three days, didn't kill you in four days. And usually the nausea vomiting and diarrhea would only occur like seventh, eighth day after exposure. That was not early. That was a later event. And one of the things that was really strange is that, uh, the people who were doing studies started noticing things that affected the intestinal tract, stomach acid, like Prilosec or, you know, proton pump inhibitors, I'd better not use Prilosex's name, uh, and, uh, and famotidine, which was a, uh, a anti-acid pill, but much milder, but actually was actually associated with survival, uh, different levels of survival. Proton pump inhibitors actually caused a decrease in survival, were associated with the decrease in survival, uh, excuse me, and famotidine or PEPCID, associated with good good outcomes, higher survivals. And so one of the things that Trump did when he took, when he got coronavirus was he had at least somebody, actually they had very good, he had a very good doctor who put him on Pepsi that wasn't approved by the CDC and wasn't approved by the CDC. Trump had several things that weren't approved by the CDC, but he's the president of the United States and he got the best, well, he got the he, he got an outstanding physician, group of physicians working for him, and he did quite well. We also knew that people with intestinal tracts that were, we knew that obesity was, a, was very much associated with it. We also knew that old age had a very high risk. It turns out that in old age, well, let me introduce that better. Okay. Pyre patches were known for the decades to be associated with part of your intestinal immune defense. Pyre patches were part of your intestinal terminal ileum, and we'll just call that the last stage of the small bowel before you reach the large bowel. Don't want to bore you with details. But these pyre patch defense was actually going on all the time in your entire life. If you ask 99% of your neighbors, actually, if you ask almost every other human in the world, even somebody who's a virologist, what do pyre patches have to do with your viral defense? Almost everyone in the world would say, I don't know. I've never heard of anything like that. But guess what? Today, you get to hear about it. Because I'm going to suggest to you that pyre patches that are part of your intestines are one of that, are part of that defense that protects you from disease of coronavirus. And the pyre patch processing was part of the small bowel processing. And that older people lost their pyre patches. And this was known from certain uh, articles that once you hit like 70s and 80s, your number of pyre patches you can produce dramatically falls, but they weren't appreciated as a viral defense until, guess what? We came out with this lecture To what, this, this shouldn't be a lecture. This is uh, just interesting places to take your mind. It's, I don't like lecturing to people. Uh, so in the intestinal defense, which involved pyre patches, is really what protected you. And as I've said so many times in this, God looks out after you in ways that you can never imagine. So much thought, so much planning went into your life and your existence that you never comprehended. And that has far more to do than just fire patches. There is a God and God's body that he designed for you is sophisticated. It's a glorious thing. And, The challenge, the opportunity to learn about that is a blessing. You know, does modern virology understand pyre patches and their exact role? Absolutely not. The way you get to learn about things though is to to discover them and to to study. And to, to discover means to go and do things that nobody else has done before. Is there always risk? All explorers, Face some risk. You know, I took live coronavirus and I did it on numerous occasions and then inhaled from people that were exhaling it. That would seem high risk behavior, but I believed in the process and I learned. And, and still a year later, I'm still learning. But you know what, my learning has taught me is that the sophistication of your own natural immunity is truly amazing. Now, this feeling that natural immunity is far better than vaccination is also shared by some at the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. Mm-hmm. They agree that, in general, it's a little bit risky to give your young women and young children a virus that's experimental. Certainly, you know, people are free to do whatever they want. You, you are free to use uh 200 years ago, you were free to use cocaine and heroin, and they weren't even regulated. Uh, but you're free to get a, a vaccine for as young as you want for your child. And we're not going to say that as a parent, you're negligent or harmful. Right. But, but any parent that wants to not experiment on their own children that haven't had children yet, that's not really that crazy. Okay. That doesn't mean they're insane. Stephen Pelech is somebody that uh, we're going to want to speak with. Some of those people from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, we're going to want to have an interview with them and get their feelings and thoughts on important issues. And I think that's going to help our viewers get a get a perspective. Right,
1: definitely need to get
0: that perspective, Doctor Mark, because it's, it's now yeah for sure. What you said is what is the current state? What's new this week? And you often ask me that, Neil. Uh, and there's a lot new. It's exciting, it's fun. I mean, it's I, I can't say coronavirus is fun, okay? Because that'll be taken out of context. La di da. The the new variants are spreading like wildfire. They're blitzing through states, and to get you proof of that, we need to look at the national wastewater uh, surveillance system, W. NWSS, you know, all these big government programs get like initials, mm-hmm. national wastewater mm-hmm. uh, uh, surveillance system. What is that? Well, we're gonna explain it to you in 60 seconds or less. Number one, when it coronavirus, when you get coronavirus, if you don't have any symptoms, it's still growing in your colon. Remember, I gave you the story of when you were a little kid and you had coronavirus, it was growing in your colon, you didn't know it? Well, guess what? Coronavirus is actually growing in the intestines of people all over America while we're doing this. And it's going asymptomatically. Is that not cool? Yeah. Okay, yes. I mean, really it is pretty cool that it's asymptomatic, that these, uh, most of these people are not in ICUs. Guess what? Where is it growing? Well, here's what happens. When it grows in your stool, you go and take a a poop. When you poop, it goes to sewage plants, and the sewage plants take samples, and they send the samples off, and they measure it. I think it's for the viral RNA. It's like uh, PCR. And what's happening is, is that the Delta variant in several states is now the dominant, dominant variant meaning no. it has taken over as the primary variant that is found in the stool system. Now, here's the key that I want you to bear in mind. When you're asymptomatic, when you're not having symptoms and you're not sick, you don't go see the doctor. So you don't get your colon checked to see if you actually have right. the, the, the virus going in there. And the same is true you know, have you had your colorectal cancer check every 10 years, at once you're 50 years old? So if you have old people, you got to remind your, your older family, or if you yourself are older than 50 or 60 or 70, you remind your family, hey, I, every few years, I need to get my colorectal cancer check by, by checking for, for blood in my stool, et cetera, okay? The, when there are no symptoms, you don't automatically get a check. So throughout certain states, like Missouri, Missouri was found to be the highest number of Delta var- variants, highest number, wow, sky high. It, and in fact, when we look at how it took over the septic tank systems, it went from a small fraction to taking over the entire state septic systems as being the dominant variant, which means that just as we had predicted, well, you know, I, this is like self-praise and that should not be the case. As was previously predicted by experts who knew, understood that the, that the virus would, ev- and I'm not going to use evolve, but I guess, yes, I will mm-hmm. use the word evolve because it's, it's, it's about evolution, but it's not about people coming from monkeys. Okay, so yes, that virus was respiratorily selected to be better aerosolized, which we have talked about here for six months or longer, nine months. Right. We said that it would, you would get variants that were very rapidly spread as an aerosol. And we said on this program for nine months, which was not said anywhere else, hey, guess what, boys and girls, men and women, this is an aerosol spread virus. And yes, it is. It's a, I don't need to praise the virus. I don't need to call it. View. It, is a, it is a high technology aerosol spread uh, virus that goes through the air. And now the Delta variant is spreading all over the state of Missouri. It's infecting the intestines of the state of Missouri. Those intestines are pooping it out and it's showing up all over the septic test. How, how, how do
1: they test that? They know that?
0: All, all, all they do is they, they take out the stool samples and they send it off to be processed. And so when you look at some of these sites, and I'm going to take you right here. Mm-hmm. You will see, look, studies suggest, you're sharing my screen, right? Yes. Look look down here, MissouriIndependent.com spread of Missouri COVID cases likely double or triple in July. Guess what? I would suggest to you, those cases are not just tripled. They may be quadrupled or more, but you're not seeing it in death rate. It is filling It is massive amount showing up in the sewage systems of Missouri. And yet the death rates in Missouri are not increasing. They're actually decreasing. How can this be? You're not getting this information from the CDC. Is that Fauci? Is he running over to talk to Ron Paul and say, hey, Senator Paul, I've got good news for you. He doesn't do that, does he? No, how about all them people from the CDC? Are they holding up their little hands and say, oh, my God, we have millions of intestines getting infected in Missouri, but our death rate is actually going down. So what do you do in that
1: situation? What's what's next step? then if that's the case, let me
0: tell you what's going to happen. First of all, I have had very little praise for. Well, well, I hadn't praised the CDC that much. Okay, that's true. But I will say whoever at the, came up at the CDC with the stool surveillance system did a marvelous job. And my hat's off and my compliments to anybody at the CDC or the National Wastewater Septic Tank Surveillance System, the, the National Wastewater Surveil, uh, Surveillance System that is actually measuring the stool uh, COVID variants. I think that is fantastic science. And I want to thank those people that got involved in that. I want to thank the United States government for supporting that type of research. I don't know that it was done in China. Maybe the Chinese do the same thing. I don't know, probably. And in fact, there is actually a poop. There is a, uh, and you know, poop is kind of an off disgusting thing for a lot of people until you think, see, now, do you see this map? You see my map coming up here? Mm -hmm. That map shows where it's the dominant variant. It's taken over in in, in Missouri. Now, even better yet, there is actually a a poop website that just as we had uh, all these places reporting from the health departments, around the world, all the septic tank departments are now starting to report what kind of variant they have and send, send their data to central clearinghouses. This was an awesome research tool. And here's the difference. What I wanted to prove myself right. And and the truth be told, I'm a proud and vain person. And like, I like it when I'm right. And I don't like it when I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I like data that shows that, you know, Hey, guess what? Maybe he wasn't, that wasn't so such a crackpot idea, but, um, that information was critical from the sewage systems because we couldn't get the general public to get their stool tested voluntarily. right? We needed to collect it from the stool systems. And when you collect it from the stool systems, it shows the people that have symptoms as well as don't have symptoms. Whether you are sick as a dog or whether you have no symptoms at all, you're still gonna poop. You're still gonna use your toilet. Does that make sense? So, So it doesn't, when you measure it out of the stool systems, you're going to pick up and be able to measure it and quantify it without knowing, without people saying, I I didn't want to spend the money on a test. I didn't want to pay a copay. So as a health system, that was just a brilliant, wonderful thing. And that's actually the first time I've talked about the National uh, Septic uh, Surveillance System. And it's not, it's the National Wastewater Surveillance System. Excuse me.
1: Okay. All right. So, what, does, so this here's mean? what, what here's, does this mean, Mark? I, I'm, this is here's,
0: here's what it means in a nutshell.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is irrefutable evidence that the virus, the new variant, Delta, spread like wildfire through Missouri. Mm-hmm. And it began to spread prior to mid-June.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yet, when we look at our death rates, they are still bottoming out. They're not increasing. If we look at, there are acute cases that bumped up a little bit. There may be some people that never had any exposure in the first wave. But in the second wave, they've had a a slight increase. It really means that when it comes to these naturally occurring variants, and by naturally occurring variant, I'm talking about things that occur through accident, They're not deliberate mutations. They are not designer designed in a lab to kill you. Right. That, that these aerosol spread new viruses that are now spreading as an aerosol. Once you had your initial exposure in the United States, you are largely protected from your new variant. I expect that that will probably be the same that, Once exposure has occurred, you're probably going to be fairly well protected. At some point, people may lose, the people that are most likely to lose resistance will be the people that are vaccinated. Wow. But even even the people who were vaccinated inhaled virus and had it growing in their intestinal tract. And really it means it challenges, it helps prove what has never been proved. That all along, the virus was, as I said last year, when people were exhaling virus, it was invisible. It got on the food, you ate it, it grew in your intestines. It, that didn't make people sick. What made people sick was it reaching their alveolus.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Okay. And, and, you know, we've said that, how? We've said that nine months. And we were I was considered a wild so, job. So wild job. Do you, what do you
1: predict in September and October if this keeps going wildfire? Are they going to go okay. crazy? Here's what we're, we're going
0: to see. Initially, the CDC will stand back, and they're going to wait till the end of July, probably, to begin to even address these issues. Actually, you don't see even Fauci going before Congress and talking about the latest news, do you? No, because it doesn't fit his little narrative that he's been weaving for, for a year and a half. So eventually, they're going to have to. Now, the CDC likes to control information. I would not be surprised if they don't come in and try to control the septic tank results, or they're going to try to explain them away somehow. Uh, They're going to, you know, I don't know what the CDC's rebuttal plan is. And it's not about, you know, science should be about truth. But truth to a large degree is about debate. Yes, we have had you know what we've lacked in this country? is honest debate. That if you if you didn't jump on their bandwagon and sing the tune they wanted you to sing, that guess what, you were an enemy. You know, I grew up with some very smart physicians. I referred people to other smarter physicians that were experts in their field. There's too much information out there for one person to be an expert in everything. That just is physically impossible. Totally impossible. As a physician, though, one of the things I wanted to do was learn, learn beyond the standard of care. Many of the physicians in your community were as smart as I was, they had the same capability. Now, many of them were in fear of of political repercussions and, and, and professional repercussions. They weren't fear to, they weren't, they didn't have the freedom that I exercise. Now, I exercised a lot of freedom at at my own professional risk, but I'm a risk taker. I do things that uh, put myself in professional risk. And that's, but that's another, that has to fit in with your personality. You have to be the kind of person who, if they believe it, will stake their life on it. And that's not for most people. And, you know, most people are not born martyrs. They're not born natural risk takers and, and, That's that it's just not the way they're cut out, Mm -hmm. but here's what you're, here's the nitty gritty. This little, this Neil Haley show. Yes. Which came out and began to interview and, and have this stuff about GI COVID. Yes. Wallowing live virus. Yes. It was right. It was right. Nine months ago. It was right. Hey, guess what? When I presented to. Uh, I wanted to present to Operation Warp Speed. They chose the big money, the big people, the big famous people, the big Pfizer and Moderna. So, where do you Minnesota. see this? So, because
1: I know we are close to running out of time. Where do you see this going next?
0: You think that yes, let me find out natural immunity works. Yes. You think now, here's for the first time in human history, we have aerosol spread asymptomatically as long as that virus remains within the coronavirus family, it may be fairly benign. So benign you don't even know you're picking it up. If you've already been exposed. Now in countries where they've had no exposure of coronavirus through the respiratory system, those people may die very rapidly, especially when they're exposed to versions that are mutants, that are much more fat, rapid growing, and they're more toxic, okay? So in countries that like, North Korea, and I pray for those people in North Korea, if they have had a total lockdown, have no exposure, those people may have a high death rate if the new variant ever got loose in their society. In Australia, in certain parts of Japan, we're fixing to have the Olympics. Look for those people. They're still under very tight quarantine. When you look at the Japanese Olympic crowds, realize almost all the people in them crowds, they don't watch our channel. They're not aware that if they even had live virus exposure, they would probably be protected, but that's okay. They're Japanese and they're, you know, sucking into whatever their government tells them or whatever their local physicians tell them. Probably their local physicians have no more freedom than, than they do in the United States. But, you know, you are a thinking person. Your life can appreciate your natural immunity your life can be thankful and you can educate yourself. And that is beauty. The truth will set you free, as Jesus said. And ye shall know the truth. But bear in mind, the truth was crucified on a cross. Bear in mind, the followers of truth get persecuted. This is all part of the interplay between those that follow truth and those who will be persecuted because then, initially they persecute people with different ideas, even if those ideas are true because they challenge the power of the status quo, but eventually the truth does win. Yes. And that's inevitable. And the cloak farther we go on through these cycles, the more you, mu- you should realize that the truth has existed. Even when big pharma, big governments, big people in high places don't like it even when they want to stamp it out, the truth will not be defeated. Okay. And hey, look, you have, remember, count your days, make your days count. And uh, remember, in the wastewater of Missouri, it has spread like wildfire. Either we're going to have an incredibly high number of deaths, or the death rate will continue to bottom out. And if it bottoms out, how come Fauci ain't up there explaining it away? I, I can hardly wait for Fauci. Come on now. Come on. They're just saying they're
1: saying the worst thing is if you don't get vaccinated now, oh, you, yeah. are, you are putting... And, oh, and,
0: and, and remember what I told you in January? They would use the vaccine to claim credit for all the success. But guess what they're not doing? If the vaccine was so doggone successful, how come they're not showing that the people that show up with new infections what percent of those are vaccinated versus unvaccinated? Are you going to tell me right now that the CDC hasn't sent out a crew to say all these people that are actually hospitalized, what percent of them were vaccinated versus unvaccinated? They would have evidence that they could publish. But where's the evidence? It's, it's mysteriously absent because they should have evidence now that, hey, the people that got hospitalized in Missouri last month, the, those that were vaccinated were much less. You don't see that at that, that data, do you? Yeah. They they only want, to a large degree, those in power want evidence that keeps them in power. It's called control the narrative, control the information. Okay. At any rate, but I've given you enough to think about for yeah, now. You time. gave us a
1: lot, and then look forward to that next episode again. This is that's
0: COVID nineteen. Uh, vaccine show appreciate it dr mark and we're gonna make keep- your days make, count your days make your days count my days are numbered make every day last and tell those you you live with that you love them and make make the most of every moment you have a great day all right
1: please listen to the forletta podcast Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, a.k.a. El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Wake Up. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light in the Morning podcast. I'm excited to welcome to Margo Lemark. Margo, how are you?
3: I'm great, Neil. A little chilly. It's raining.
1: <laughs> Isn't this the strangest August ever? We've had more rain in August than i ever imagined and especially in uh, Pittsburgh it just seems like every day it rains so uh interesting I know well now
3: we've got Fred and
1: Grace coming our way so goodness well that's you so that means there's more rain so I guess the uh (laughs) the gods are not happy with us right now I could say with all the things from COVID to Afghanistan all that all right so let's go to the next chapter we're going to discuss today
3: yes all right So the next chapter, it's called A Message in the Casket, and it's because the message I got from this guy was literally left in the casket when I saw him. It's very interesting. Um, You know, this was, his name was Steve. He was my next door neighbor growing up, and we went to college together, so I knew him very, very well. And he was a really interesting character. Um, He, uh, how do you describe him? He he was so electric. He would come into the room and literally create chaos. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. He was really fun, really lively, funny. But boy, he'd come bursting through the room. And, and when he did that, everything would change. He, he, everything became, he studied chemistry and everything became a chemical reaction when he walked in the room because he, he was just so unusually... Um, Electrifying. I, I don't know how else to describe this guy. And so it, it's interesting that when he died, what I saw in him, you know, um, uh, I gave the eulogy for him over the phone. It wasn't COVID yet. Um, And we didn't have Zoom yet. So what I did is I called the funeral home and they put the phone up to the microphone in the room. (laughs) My brother, who was actually there at the funeral, said it was just like I was standing in front of the room. So it worked. And I, I gave this very moving eulogy and everything for him. And then after the funeral, my brother sent me a photograph of Steve in his casket with all the flowers around. Oh and the amazing yeah, and Neil, the amazing thing was he was in okay, most people when when you go to a funeral, they're there in their dark suit with a tie and a white shirt. That's what people get buried in, right? Well, not Steve. He was in a bright red Hawaiian shirt.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs>
3: Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it gave me such a clear message about how we should just be ourselves. We should just totally be ourselves. When I saw that red Hawaiian shirt, I, I just realized that we should all be so self-realized as to wear red Hawaiian shirt to our own funeral. You know, Steve was just there ready to go on to the next gig. He was gone. He was in his red shirt just showing off who he really was. <laughs> and, you know, we don't change when we die. We're the same person. We're the same spirit. And so it was so symbolic to me that just exactly how he was in life, there he was laying in death, right? Just bright, electrifying, <laughs> it just red, bright shirt, you, you know. So that, that was my lesson from him, is just to let go of everything everyone has ever told you about how you should be or what you should do. Just be yourself. Don't conform to anybody else's style or doctrine. Just live your truth in the way you were created. God created you for a reason, and he created you exactly how he wanted you to be. And you know that's where we find our greatest joy, is just in being ourselves. You know, and we're all different, so we should all just be the different snowflakes that we are
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the key thing that you're talking about is be that be who you are, be the person you're that God wants you to be, don't be the person that somebody else wants you to be, be who you are
3: right, right, and you know we have such standards we 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 compare ourselves to other people all the time. And, you know, we're so competitive in this lifetime and we try to dress like the person that we admire and no, 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 just be yourself, you know, and the sooner we can learn that it, it's, it's really, we're going to have a much more fulfilling and more joyful life. Cause you know, when you can just let down your guard, that's when you laugh, you enjoy your friends. You just don't care. I wish, I wish we could all just take our mirrors and throw them away, <laughs> just break them. Exactly, <laughs> you know, so exactly. we can all just. Be who we feel we
1: are inside. You know. You think that's the theme, basically, that we should take from today's episode.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, you know, when somebody dies, it's the only time we truly reflect on just that person. You know, regardless of how we saw them in life, regardless of what we thought of them. And regardless of our relationship with them, our vision is clear once they leave their body. It's so interesting because when we're in the body, we're looking at what they wear, what they say, how they're acting. But when they don't have a body anymore, we see them for who they are. And there's a reason for that because we learn something from how they were in their life. It's their parting gift to us. Their entire life adds up to their moment of death that we see in their face at that point when they pass over. We talked about that before. And their essence at that moment is their gift to us because we learn something from who they are. And simultaneously, it's our opportunity to accept them and finally appreciate them and keep their essence alive within us. So that's how they become part of us. And that is the great gift of death. There's a reason we have funerals, because we get to really see that person for who they were, and we learn something. And I learned something from Steve. You know, after being with him for so much of my life and seeing him just be the way he is, I really saw him in that casket. I saw just how unique and incredible that person was, you know, and it just taught me to be myself no matter what wear that red Hawaiian shirt. We should all go out shopping right now. Let's go shopping, Neil, and find our version of that red Hawaiian shirt so we can really truly be ourselves. That is the message of this And I think it's a great message because people always
1: care what people think instead of live their life. Because if we wouldn't, the amount of time we focus in our mental capacities on things that are going to go wrong, the time we spend every day, And it's very interesting uh i look at manifestation in so many aspects and that if we're manifesting things that are going to go wrong they are going to go wrong in our life if we're manifesting things that are going to go right they're going to go right in our life and it's hard because as human beings we just feel that maybe god is supposed to give us this horrible life on earth and that's not true that is
3: right no that's exactly right i'll give you another really interesting example when I was managing this rock band, I remember I was in my real estate office and I had just had my last closing of the year. It was October. And at that time, we didn't have a winter season. So I wasn't going to make any more money until like May. It was a long time I had to live on the money I just made. And my band, um, the band I was managing was going on the road with the Counting Crows. So guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to jump in the van with the band. I didn't want to sit there and what, make cold calls in real estate. I mean, so here's what I did. I thought, okay, God, you created me this way. You're going to have to support me. I'm going to jump in that van with the band because that's who I truly am. And that moment really changed me because I did that. I I, I had very little money and I had to worry about how I was going to eat for the next five months. <laughs> But that wasn't me to sit and worry about it and to sit and make cold calls to people or something. I jumped in that van. And you know what? After I got in the van, about 30 minutes later, I got a phone call from somebody wanting to buy this very expensive lot. And the commission on that was $20,000. So, you know, it's a perfect example of just being yourself. If you be yourself, you'll get support. It's when you're not being yourself that you don't get support. You make God happy and he supports you when you are yourself.
1: Great point. And the best place to check you out is go to lightinthemorning.com. And you also check out the podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe and share the podcast, uh, the Light in Morning podcast, and look forward to talking the next chapter with you next week.
3: Me too, Neil. I'll
1: look forward to it. Thanks, Margo. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. That was the light in the morning podcast, guys. Take care.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure
1: their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can
0: go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts.